I have an idea, Tegan. Why don't we do this podcast live on Twitter Spaces? <laughs> People will think we're really cool, really innovative. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Maybe we could have Elon Musk moderate it. I mean, that's a big idea right there. Wait, because if I mean, he's involved, it'll be fine. I mean, he's got 140 million followers, doesn't he? How many of those converted to Ron DeSantis the other day? Uh, none. None listeners. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, some people thought, and we'll get into what we both think in a moment. First, the reminder for folks with questions, if you want to send them to the mailbag, here's how. You can contact Hagen via Political Wire. You can email me any questions by simply replying to any day's newsletter. Now, let's get on with business. Are you prepared to launch, Tegan? Ready to launch. Preparing to launch. We will get to some of the tech aspects in a moment. But first, the post on Political Wire, the headline was, the headlines are brutal. By the way, I know from that language that you wrote that headline because that, that, that sounds is, like- That is my type of headline. It is your, it's, it's your type of comment, yeah. And then you wrote, it's true that very few people actually listened to Governor Ron DeSantis launch his presidential campaign on Twitter last night, but quite a few people will read these headlines from the Daily Beast. Very online and very glitchy. DeSantis announces for president. The Telegraph. Crackling voices that sounded like a pre-war wireless. DeSantis launch marred by Twitter shambles. CNN. Glitches, echoes, and melting the servers crash DeSantis's campaign launch on Twitter. Yahoo. DeSantis debacle. Twitter spaces presidential announcement marred by technical problems. Reuters. Ron DeSantis joins White House race tripped up by chaotic Twitter launch. Then, of course, there's the Andy Borowitz New Yorker headline that you texted me just a couple hours ago. Twitter investigation reveals keyboard was clogged with chocolate pudding. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was a good one. I had to hurry and get that into the questions and into our conversation today. So let's start with the pertinent question. What in the world happened? Well, you know, when you think about having a bad campaign launch, you know, if you go back to 2016, it would be the equivalent of Donald Trump coming down the gold escalator, tripping and falling down and rolling down the escalator stairs. That's about as bad as it could possibly get. And DeSantis had that yesterday. I mean, what a mess. I mean, you and I were trying to listen to it at the same time on Twitter spaces, and we didn't know what was going on. First of all, you have to find Twitter spaces. Not exactly the easiest thing to find. A lot of people were trying to game the system and create their own Twitter spaces so that you might go into their rooms as well. Then once you got in, my app kept crashing. It was just a mess. I don't want to spend too much time on the tech aspect, but I was thinking about exactly what you're saying. What a joke that was. So first of all, what is Twitter spaces? I mean, come on. Nobody knows what Twitter spaces is. I mean, who's ever really used time on that? Two, where is Twitter Spaces? You told me you can only get it on the app. You have to go on the app. So fine. I went on the app. Then three, when you're on Twitter Spaces, it kept crashing. So that was a disaster. Four, even when you're on there, it's not like there's a channel guide. You have to find the Twitter space that you're looking for. So you search. And as you and I were texting back and forth, you said, okay, we'll search for at Elon Musk. So you search for at Elon Musk. And it was exactly what you said. So many people had set up real Twitter spaces, but fake Elon Musk Twitter spaces that were all about at Elon Musk, you're terrible, at Elon Musk, this thing is breaking. You couldn't even find the actual event. That was a DeSantis disaster debacle. 
Well, the most brilliant one, of course, was the tweet that President Biden put out, which said, this link works, going right to his fundraising page. That was some masterful trolling by the Biden campaign right there. If the DeSantis communications and campaign launch folks deserve to be fired, the Biden dark Brandon Twitter team deserves to get a raise. (laughs) The other thing is that this was supposed to be the bold new launch using a social network to launch your campaign. And at the end of the day, it had all of the appeal of a glitchy conference call. When's the last time you've actually been on a conference call since we all use Zoom now? It was amazing. And then when you finally got to hear him speak about 20 minutes into it, he simply read his stump speech. Okay, let's imagine a world where the technology stuff went off just fine. Holding all of that aside, the negatives on DeSantis include, one, he's not a people person. Somehow he's gotten painted already as he's not a people person. He's distant. He's not likable. So lock him in some antiseptic Twitter space that has no video, is audio only. Let's even say the audio is pristine, like my audio on these podcasts, as opposed to your audio, by the way, on these podcasts. But let's just say that his audio is pristine. Why would you have him off in an antiseptic sealed chamber someplace talking with Elon Musk instead of out with his family, greeting people? Why would you create a situation that only amplifies his negatives? Well, I think it was obviously by being next to Elon Musk, who is so warm and personable himself. Yeah, exactly. I think he was hoping that that was going to rub off. He's probably the worst person to have been with in such a thing. If those are your negatives, you're not an affable person that you have a hard time getting along or or having conversations, natural conversations, you know, that you're unlikable. We've heard that before. We heard that about Hillary Clinton, right? That she was unlikable. But then you'd see things in the media about how Hillary Clinton in private, she was funny, engaging. We heard the same thing about Al Gore, about John Kerry. Well, it turns out with DeSantis that he's actually just as unlikable as you read about him in private as he is in public. And this was his one chance. You only get one launch to actually do something to reverse those negatives. And not only did he reverse them, he kind of amplified them. So beyond the fact that the launch from a technological point of view didn't work, number one. Number two, from an optics point of view, it only, as you just said, amplified the negatives about him and didn't do anything to dispel them. What about substance? Part of me, a very small part, I confess, feels bad focusing on the technology and the glitches that we have been discussing. But from a substance point of view, was there anything substantive in DeSantis's various campaign launch interviews or announcements? He went on, he gave a few others afterwards. Actually, second best troll after Biden's, after the dark Brandon one, was by Fox, which said, come on, do the interview with us. We promise that we won't crash. (laughs) Fox (laughs) News said that, which was, I think that was pretty funny. But did DeSantis offer any substantive reasons for Republicans to choose him over Trump? Well, that's what's kind of weird about it is that he actually did have an engaging conversation about these right wing issues. You know, it was really kind of like being around in a right wing social media space where you're engaging with people about how unfair Vanity Fair has been to your cause or to you and engaging in all sorts of rhetoric that honestly most Americans had never heard. He's clearly someone who can engage on these terms with these far right pundits. 
it is very clear that he speaks their language, that he understands their concerns and the type of things that they want to talk about. But it was not the type of thing where it had any appeal beyond that small little narrow group. And so while some people have said, hey, you're making too much of a big deal about this, the fact that this didn't go so well, nobody really heard it. And it's true. There were only a few hundred thousand people, according to Twitter's numbers, that actually heard this. The problem is, while most Americans don't go on Twitter, and certainly most Republican primary voters don't necessarily go on Twitter, the fact is, is that journalists go on Twitter and journalists stay on Twitter and journalists are on Twitter all day long. It painted DeSantis again, not only the technical issues that we've talked about, but the substance of what DeSantis said. Journalists portrayed that as a guy who is really off in another world. He's a very distant guy, which is probably why he doesn't get along with people. But it also, to be honest, it makes him seem a little weird. And that's the type of stuff that Donald Trump just eats up. If his opponent is weird in any way, Donald Trump is just going to go after him hard. I mean, that's where the putting fingers comments come from. Donald Trump is trying to paint DeSantis as weird. And when DeSantis does something like that, not only does it make him look incompetent, but it makes him look a little weird. Do Americans vote for weirdos? They really don't. Donald Trump knows that. You know, if there's anything that Donald Trump knows is that he picks on people. If DeSantis comes off as weird, Donald Trump is just going to amplify that and push that even harder. Was Tim Scott the big winner? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure anybody was really a big winner except for Donald Trump, you know, because you've got the polls showing Trump leading DeSantis by 30 or 40 points nationally, similar margin in a poll that came out from Emerson College in Iowa, showing Trump up by 30, 35% up in Iowa. The number two candidate to Trump is DeSantis, and DeSantis is around 20, 25% in the polls. So Trump has got to be the winner of this because his closest challenger, even though he's not very close, had a terrible launch. And so will somebody replace DeSantis as a viable challenger? I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's way too early to say DeSantis is done, although he didn't help himself at all. But whether it's a Tim Scott, a Nikki Haley, a Mike Pence, who knows? Some, you know, as we saw in the 2016 campaign, it seemed like every seven to 10 days, there was a new front runner who would zoom up in the polls. I mean, at one point, Herman Cain was actually leading in the polls or a strong number two. We never know exactly how this is going to play itself out, but we may have a situation this time where Donald Trump stays in the lead and every seven to 10 days, 14 days, a new challenger emerges who pulls around 20, 25, maybe 30%. And so, yeah, some of these people may come. I don't think any of them are necessarily helped by DeSantis, you know, exploding on the launch pad like this other than Donald Trump. What should DeSantis do now? Does he do something else to change the topic? Any other books he can ban? They're banning Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, for certain age groups in Florida. Aren't there other dangerous authors like Gorman that maybe DeSantis can seek to ban, something like that? I think DeSantis right now is betting on one thing. He's betting on the fact that Donald Trump's extensive legal problems are going to tie him up. I mean, we just found out this week that Trump's trial for the hush money charges in Manhattan, that's going to happen in the third week of March, right smack in the middle of the primary season. Donald Trump will be in a criminal trial in Manhattan. Well, we've also learned this week that Trump's lawyers are warning him that an indictment may come soon in the classified documents case. And there's really some amazing reporting that comes out of that suggesting that not only did Trump have aides move these documents two days before the FBI was supposed to come to retrieve them, but he also did a trial run of this move so that it was an active premeditated attempt to keep these documents away from the FBI. 
And we've also seen reporting that he's actually showed these documents to numerous people, kept them in his office at Mar-a-Lago and showed them to people who did not have the rights to see them. There might be another indictment there, but that's what DeSantis is counting on. He's counting on an indictment, but I'm not so sure that's a great thing to bet on if history is any indication. When Trump gets in more trouble, he blames the media, he blames Democrats, and Republicans love him even more. That's what DeSantis's big bet is right now. He's got a secondary bet, which might work, which is he's promising to work really hard in Iowa and New Hampshire and to try to win both of those states. And if he spends $200 million getting out the vote in Iowa and New Hampshire, and he manages to win each of those states, because I don't think winning one's going to be necessarily enough, but if he wins both of those, then I think you could consider him a reasonable challenger right now. But right now, Trump is still far and away ahead. He's ahead of everybody. And DeSantis has not done himself any favors this week. You posted a piece, DeSantis is flip-flopping on how to pronounce his own name. A video has come out that the other day, he's starting to introduce himself as Ron DeSantis instead of DeSantis. You know, I saw the post and I was like, what? Why would he be doing that? And now after seeing all of the comments, DeSantis, debacle, disaster, declining, is he trying to, to because no one would say disaster, debacle. I recall a few weeks ago saying an article that Casey DeSantis had actually encouraged him to change the pronunciation of his name from DeSantis, which is what he's used when he was elected to Congress originally, to DeSantis. And that's really interesting. I, I don't know if that's true, but that's an interesting observation, whether or not he's trying to avoid some of those nicknames that he's gotten. But you know, I'll tell you what Donald Trump thinks about it. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. And Americans don't vote for weirdos. We know that. But think about that. Delicious. Delightful. Another important topic that begins with D-E. Debt limit, Chris. Debt limit, Tegan. As of this conversation that you and I are having on Thursday, you've posted on Political Wire that a debt ceiling deal is taking shape. Reuters reports that President Joe Biden and top Republican lawmaker Kevin McCarthy are edging close to a deal on the U.S. debt ceiling with the parties just $70 billion apart on discretionary spending. What is likely to emerge will not be a hundreds page long bill, something that could take lawmakers days to write, read, and vote on, but a slimmed down agreement with a few key numbers. That's being reported by Reuters. I've seen it in a few other places and a couple of stories, Republicans indicating that a deal is coming near. And yet, at the same time, you have subsequently posted on Political Wire, conservatives rebel against emerging deal. The House Freedom Caucus sent a letter to Speaker Kevin McCarthy with new demands for a debt ceiling deal and urging GOP unity. Representative Bob Good said to Huffington Post, quote, I'm concerned about rumors to the effect, and I haven't read or seen anything yet, but rumors that we may have some sort of deal in place that would raise the debt limit for more than what was called for in the House debt ceiling bill passed in April for a whole lot less in return. If that were true, that would absolutely collapse the Republican majority for this debt ceiling increase, end quote. At the same time, Representative Chip Roy from Texas said in a radio interview, quote, I'm going to have to go have some blunt conversations with my colleagues and the leadership team. I don't like the direction they are headed. Tegan, where is this headed? Can this get resolved without a crisis? 
What's interesting about this is just 12 hours ago, the headlines were about Democrats really concerned about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden is selling them out on this deal. And now we have 12 hours later, these stories about conservatives doing this. So that's one of these things. That's one of these indicators that if you're a reporter, you're seeing that there actually probably is a deal that's emerging because you're annoying both sides of the political spectrum with this deal. The big question, I think, right now, as we record this, the House is still going to go off on recess. There's some speculation that there might be a vote as early as Tuesday or on Wednesday if they can come to an agreement. That bill might actually be passed in time to avoid a debt default. But right now they're headed out on recess for the holiday weekend. And the question here is how many votes do they have? We're not really sure what this deal looks like. It's unclear to me that Kevin McCarthy, he probably loses 20 to 30 Republicans just because they don't want to vote for any deal and never have voted for a deal for something like this. And the last thing they're going to do is vote for a deal that's going to push the debt limit out as it's been reported past the 2024 presidential election. At the same time, there's a lot of Democrats who aren't going to vote for this deal because there's absolutely nothing that's been done on the revenue side of the equation. Republicans asked for a reduction in spending on IRS enforcement so that the IRS actually can't use that money to actually go and raise more revenue. So you've got a situation where there's a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans who are not going to vote for this deal right now. I'm not sure who's responsible for counting those votes, but Kevin McCarthy doesn't have 218 votes. Hakeem Jeffries doesn't have 218 votes at this point. So we will see. And then the subtext of this entire thing is if McCarthy doesn't have a significant amount of his caucus behind this bill, will he be able to keep his job at the end of it? I'm not so sure that he will survive. Where do Biden and McCarthy each think that they're going to get their votes from? Well, I think they're looking to get them from the center of each caucus. They're trying to eke out 218 votes in the center. But I'm sure that Kevin McCarthy, he doesn't call it the Hastert rule anymore, which was named for former disgraced Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, which says that Republicans aim to get a majority of their caucus to pass any legislation. It's not clear that McCarthy has a majority of his caucus for this type of bill. It's not clear that Jeffries does either for the compromise that's being reported. But, you know, the crazy thing about this entire thing is we're talking about spending cuts in this bill that impact only about 13% of the budget. Now, while that seems like a tiny number, 13%, it actually is a lot of the spending that most Americans care about. So when you actually get to the nuts and bolts of this bill, whatever the agreement is, whenever this bill is written and you begin to see what these spending cuts are, I think that an awful lot of them are going to be very unpopular. That's going to immediately impact how these lawmakers end up voting. And we're just talking about the House right now, Chris, as well. This bill has to then pass the Senate at some point. And Senator Mike Lee from Utah has issued, he put out a tweet earlier today in which he said he's going to do everything he can to block this bill if there aren't real reforms made and real cuts made in spending. And the bill that they're talking about right now does not pass muster as far as Mike Lee's concerned. This is going to go right down to the wire and there's still a lot of moving parts. So we're not really sure how it's going to end up. And what about Wall Street? Can a debt ceiling agreement come into play without a crisis? Is it going to take a crisis for this to get resolved? Great question, Chris. I'm surprised that there has been not barely a ripple on Wall Street uh, in terms of reaction to this chaos, which is an indication that most on Wall Street think ultimately there will be a deal. 
The only thing that we've seen is we've seen a small flight by investors from short-term treasuries to what are perceived as safer corporate bonds, bonds like from Microsoft and companies like that, which are perceived as a safe haven, you know, in terms of the non-government bonds. That's the only thing that we've really seen, but we haven't seen like a real meltdown. We haven't seen even any hint that that's coming. Maybe we're not close enough to the drop dead date, which I guess is June 1 or thereabouts. And so if all of a sudden Janet Yellen comes out and says, we have run out of money, then maybe you'll see chaos on Wall Street and something happen there. But right now it looks like they've made some progress. It looks like they're moving towards a deal. One other thing that we should talk about is that Democrats actually unanimously have signed a discharge petition in the House, which would allow them to bring a clean debt ceiling bill to the floor. All they need is five Republicans. So if you got into that chaotic period where all of a sudden the markets are melting down or something bad is happening, there is that back door where five Republicans could join with Democrats and pass a clean debt ceiling bill. But that's not considered likely at this point. And one of the reasons why it's not considered likely is that it's not clear who's going to be blamed more for a default and for the resulting chaos of a default, whether that's going to be Biden and the Democrats or whether that's going to be the House Republicans. It's not clear who's going to take more blame at this point. And finally, if Congress is going on recess this weekend, any recess for you this holiday weekend? It is my favorite weekend of the year, Chris, Memorial Day weekend, and I plan on spending an awful lot of time outside playing tennis. I'll actually have some children around, which will be fun, and I suspect there will be some food involved. How about you? Kids, yes. Tennis, no. Food, yes. Well, let's hope the weather's good and have a great weekend, Chris. Great weekend, Tegan.